Welcome to the 3VB podcast series, 3VB Speaks. In today's podcast, 3VB barristers Philip Hinks and William Day will be discussing some of the issues arising from recent cases on schemes of arrangement, where creditors are consumers and so likely financially unsophisticated. Phil was called to the bar in 2008. He has considerable experience acting in high-profile, complex commercial matters, particularly in relation to civil fraud, financial services and insolvency disputes. He is ranked as a leading junior across seven areas of practice in the UK legal directories and has been described as one of the top juniors at the bar. Will has been recognised in the legal directories as a rising star with a successful practice spanning all aspects of commercial litigation and arbitration. He has particular experience in banking and finance disputes, commercial fraud cases and insolvency matters. Prior to being called in 2016, Will practised as a solicitor at Allen & Overy, where he worked on a range of commercial disputes with an emphasis on banking and finance litigation. Phil appeared in the Providence scheme last year and Will appeared in the Amigo scheme earlier this year, in both cases instructed by John York, who had been appointed by the company as customer advocate. Phil started by discussing the general problem that is faced by consumer finance companies. So all of these consumer finance companies really have the same business model. The loans they make are unsecured loans. They're typically for very small amounts of money. And the interest rates are fairly enormous which is sort of commensurate with the degree of risk that's being undertaken by the lenders. In terms of the borrowers, there are are typically a very large number of borrowers. And generally speaking, most of these borrowers are financially unsophisticated. Now, the problem that these consumer finance companies have faced in recent times is as a result of an increase in complaints by consumers about the lending activities of these companies, particularly unaffordable and unsustainable lending. Now, consumers are entitled to seek redress from the Financial Ombudsman Service, FOS, in respect of these complaints. And if they're successful, what that often results in is a repayment of any costs and interest which has been paid on the loans and interest on top of that at a rate of about 8% a year. Now, as a result of uh, all of these redress claims, a lot of consumer lenders have been coming under very substantial liabilities to their borrowers. The solution that has been proposed is to use a scheme of arrangement to make the problem go away. So you would use the scheme to compromise the redress claims in return for uh, a sum of money, um, in return for releasing the company of their liability. The company in question would constitute an earmarked fund of several millions of pounds. A bar date would be imposed by the scheme. The claims would then be assessed and the redress claimants would walk away with a dividend, which would be pence in the pound. So the first company that tried this out was Amigo Loans. And you're going to talk to us about that, Will. 
So Amigo first put forward a scheme of arrangement in early 2021. And under that scheme, they earmarked a fund for redress creditors, but one which envisaged them taking a substantial haircut, around 10 pence in the pound. Uh, And importantly, the terms of that initial scheme of arrangement envisaged that shareholders would not take a cut and that Amigo would continue trading um, after the scheme of of arrangement as it had done before. Now, at, at the convening hearing itself, that problem wasn't canvassed as you would expect, But there is the start of some discussion by the court as to the the issue of dealing with unsophisticated creditors. And in particular, the the court in the convening hearing in Amigo's first scheme was presented not just with submissions by the company, but also submissions on behalf of a separate law firm who had been appointed as a so-called independent scheme assessor. And under that uh, uh, engagement, the separate law firm produced a report for the court on creditor responses ahead of the convening hearing and instructed counsel to present those responses to court. Now, at at the end of the judgment at the convening hearing, Sir Alistair Norris noted that Amigo was a regulated business and that the FCA had expressed concerns and had reserved its position on the scheme. And in a sense, that proved prophetic because two days before the creditor meetings, the FCA hardened its position and said that it was going to oppose the schemes, irrespective of how the creditors voted at those meetings. In the event, only a very small percentage of creditors voted, but those who did vote voted overwhelmingly in favour of the scheme. So, So when the scheme of arrangement went back to court for the sanction hearing, the court was faced with quite an unusual situation, which was the scheme wasn't opposed by any creditors, but it was strongly opposed by the regulator. And I should say at this point, it looks like the independent scheme assessor's role had fallen away. That seems to have been limited uh, to the first hearing. Now, a scheme of arrangement isn't like a Part 7 application under FISMA, where regulators are expressly given standing. But, but realistically, the FCA was always going to get a hearing on its concerns, and the company sensibly didn't contest its standing. And in the event, Mr Justice Miles, who heard the sanction hearing, accepted the FCA's case and refused to sanction the scheme, really for two sets of reasons. That The first um, set of reasons were substantive in nature. There was a, a real concern that around 90% of the redress claims were being written off in circumstances where shareholders were going to be unaffected, And that was felt to be contrary to the usual principle, whereby debt normally ranks ahead of equity in these sorts of situations. The second group of concerns were more procedural in nature, and they really went to the question of whether consumers were reasonably able to make an informed decision on the schemes when voting on them. The judge thought they weren't able to make such a decision, really for five reasons. First, and as a starting point, was simply the customer's lack of sophistication and financial vulnerability. The second was against that backdrop. The judge was very concerned that they hadn't been given access to independent professional advice. The third point was that unlike in many scheme cases, the terms of the scheme had been imposed by the company rather than being the subject of detailed negotiations with creditors. Fourthly, the level of turnout, as I said, was very low, under 9%. And finally, there were problems with the way that the scheme had been explained to creditors. The communications were deemed to be inadequate, in particular, around the likely alternative, if the scheme was not sanctioned, 
and also the fact that creditors hadn't clearly been told that shareholders were keeping their equity unaffected by the scheme. Mr Justice Miles was clear, none of those five factors taken alone was decisive, but together they justify taking a relatively unusual course of refusing to sanction the scheme. Now, now Phil, you then appeared in the Provident case uh, later that year. How much of an effect did Mr Justice Miles' decision in Amiga have on the Provident scheme? It formed the backdrop of preparations for, for that scheme. The two schemes, I think, had been developed to a degree in tandem. The problem that the two companies faced was more or less the same. And the issue that really came to the fore as a result of Mr Justice Miles' decision was what do you do when you've got a scheme of arrangement and the creditors are just this massive, disparate body of borrowers who aren't, aren't the most financially sophisticated people? because they've, they've, they've been forced into a situation where they're borrowing payday loans and that kind of thing. Now, it's right to say that Provident was slightly different to Amigo. One of the key differences between Provident and Amigo was that there was no plan for Provident to continue to trade after the scheme of arrangement was approved and implemented. Instead, the plan was that the company's operations would simply be wound down. Now, heeding Mr Justice Miles' concerns in Amigo about interaction with the creditor body, legal and professional advice was offered by Provident to the creditors. The company appointed an experienced solicitor to act as an independent customer advocate, and I acted um, on his behalf in respect of the scheme. He did four things. First of all, he reviewed thousands of communications which had been sent by the borrowers to the company. And in his report, he summarised and he channelled those communications where relevant for the court. And this was really an exercise of, of filtering of trying to pick out information and concerns raised by this disparate body of creditors that might have some relevance to the actual court proceedings. The second thing he did was to attend the scheme meeting and to make representations about the scheme so that creditors would have a better un understanding of what it was about. The third thing he did was to form an assessment about whether scheme creditors understood the choices that they were being asked to make under the scheme. And that really involved a review of the cogencies and the complexity of the scheme documents, like the explanatory statement. Were these documents that the man on the street could really understand? Fourthly, and finally, he engaged with media bodies and debt advisory groups to understand any concerns that they might have about the scheme and to present those concerns to the court. In addition to that, Provident appointed a firm of solicitors to provide creditors at its own expense with independent legal advice should they want it. Now, in Provident, unlike in Amigo, the scheme was sanctioned. The court accepted in that case that the creditors had been properly consulted and that they did understand the kind of decisions they were being asked to make. 
Following the successful sanction of the Providence scheme, Amigo had a second bite of the cherry. Isn't that right? That's right. So Amigo returned to court this year with a fundamentally different scheme and following a fundamentally different process. Uh, And it's worth saying at the outset that the FCA carefully monitored the second Amigo scheme but didn't oppose it as it did the first time. Now, on the procedural side, there were a number of other innovations, including the appointment of, uh, again, an independent customer advocate uh, modelled on the approach taken in Provident. Uh, And I then appeared uh, for the customer advocate at the convening hearing and at the sanctions hearing. Now, Now, Phil, you've discussed the role of the customer advocate already, particularly outside the hearings. But I just wanted to add a few thoughts about my experience at the hearings themselves. Now, it it seemed to me that both Lord Justice Snowden at the convening hearing and Mr Justice Trower at the sanction hearing were really very interested, particularly given the history of the case, to hear what the customer advocate had to say. They had clearly read the customer advocate reports in advance, but wanted to discuss the issues that had been flagged in those reports. And the other interesting thing is that the court didn't just want to hear from the customer advocate in the reporting role. They wanted the customer advocate to assist the court with his views on the issues that he was reporting to the court. And I think that might be a slight evolution from the role that he played in the Providence scheme. I'll just give three examples. That The first was various complaints or concerns were raised or made by customers and also by Debt Camel, which was a, a, a campaigning sustainable finance blog for consumers. And the court clearly didn't just want to be taken to those concerns. It wanted to hear whether the customer advocate agreed with them, and if not, why not? The second example is that at the convening hearing, there was a discussion about whether the meetings of creditors should be fully remote or whether they should be on a hybrid basis. And the court there is still on a a bit of a journey, having moved fully remote during the pandemic. There's now a shift back towards a a hybrid um, form of meeting. Um, uh, And Lord Justice Snowden was attracted by a hybrid option in this case. But actually, it became clear that that was going to cause more problems than it solved. And then the third example um, is that at the sanction hearing, the customer advocate was instructed to opine on whether, in his view customers were reasonably able to make an informed decision. And I think that's similar to a question that was asked in Provident, but perhaps slightly enhanced. Uh, And the customer advocate's answer to that was yes, but with some caveats. And again, the court was interested not just in the answer, but the caveats and whether that might affect its assessment as to whether this was a scheme that rationally customers would vote for such that the court would be prepared to, um, to sanction it. So where do we go from here? I think it's right to acknowledge that although... There have been a few cases historically where you've got some professional who has been appointed in more or less the same role as this independent advocate who's charged with looking over things and then expressing opinions, which might very well be be adverse to the company that's proposing the, the arrangement. What is the future for this fairly novel development? And it's now becoming, in the light of Amigo and Provident, something of a well-trodden path when you've got a scheme of arrangement involving a very large number of creditors who, who simply aren't in a position to 
to collate together and to sort of marshal relevant evidence themselves, it's becoming a well-trodden path to have somebody to help them do that in the form of an independent customer advocate. One thing that I was thinking was, whereas up until now, this measure has been something which has been proposed, volunteered by the company, kind of as a way of the company hoping this will persuade a court to sanction the scheme, whether we might see this being formalised in the future as a measure that the court itself imposes. The problem that the court still has, though, is that in a way the most valuable function that the consumer advocate or the customer advocate plays is at the convening hearing itself. And so the, 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 quite a lot of the benefit that you get from that role would be lost if companies are reliant on the court raising this and then embodying it in the order at the convening hearing because then the role will only really kick in for the sanction hearing. So I I think that there will be a bit of actually just a move in the market where you have these sorts of schemes to introduce a, a customer advocate of some sort before the convening hearing given you know, the positive references made to that role in both the Provident and the Amigo case. It also raises an issue about just the exact scope of the brief of the customer advocate. And if it's something that's going to be imposed by the court, is the court really going to want to get into the minutiae of of what it expects the, con- the customer advocate to do? I think the other interesting development is the evolving role of the customer advocate in in cases like these, what he was really doing was reviewing and marshalling uh, a very large body of evidence in order to put before the court the relevant points that might actually have some impact on whether or not the scheme should be sanctioned. But the one thing that he wasn't doing was himself expressing an opinion, for instance, about whether he thought the scheme was fair or whether the statutory requirements for the sanctioning of a scheme are satisfied. But I think we've already seen some inroads into that in, in your case, in Amigo. What I was finding, particularly in the, in the dialogue when I was on my feet, was that the court wanted to know whether the customer advocate, in his experience, thought that, that the proposals being put forward by the blog were were sensible ones or or not. The the other point I think it's worth making is the relationship between the customer advocate and the regulators. Where the regulator is involved, again, I think that does draw some lines as to what the consumer advocate can and can't do. Um, Because the FCA tends only to get properly involved where it's opposed to the scheme, you can see how there is a space carved out by that practice for a customer advocate to play a role too because the FCA frankly isn't in a position to apply resources to do for example the review of communications that happened in Provident and Amigo but Phil I don't know whether you had any views about about that relationship between the FCA on the one hand and the customer advocate on the other. Uh, only that I can see there being scope for the two working together in an appropriate case and as you say because the regulator is so under-resourced and and um, overextended the customer advocate 
in some cases, taking a lot of pressure um, off the regulator and doing quite a lot of necessary reading to get on top of the scheme. But look, as I understand it, there are a number of these consumer finance companies which are facing the same kind of problems, <coughs> experiencing the same difficulties that Amigo and Providence have experienced. So I, I certainly don't think that we have um, seen the end of these consumer finance schemes of arrangement. And we will wait with bated breath to see what happens to the evolution of the role of the customer advocates um, in these kind of schemes. Well, thanks for listening and let's see what happens. Yes, thanks very much. You can find out more about recent cases in which members of 3VB have been involved and further information on all our areas of practice by visiting our website www.3vb.com or via our LinkedIn page and Twitter feed at 3VB Chambers. Thank you.